Well, again, good morning. Um, if you do not watch, obviously, maybe you do watch sports, maybe you don't watch sports, it doesn't matter. But um, this last last week was the World Series, and obviously Houston lost, which I'm okay with because I root for the National League team always. So anyways, but here's, here's the thing. We were, we were, we were yesterday and we were, we were, I was playing, you know, with a bunch of guys and playing this game called Ragball, which I'm finding out is a whole different unique experience here in Odessa, but it's really fun. Um, just like baseball with like this soft, soft, like softball, so to speak. But anyways, we were talking and we were talking about the decision that the manager made to pull a pitcher. And so, you go back to these decisions, and I'm sure all of us, right, make decisions, and we could rewind the clock and go, man, I wish I would have done something different, or I wish I could have done something. And everyone plays what we call Monday morning quarterback. That means hindsight is 2020, and we, it was like, if I was the guy, then I would have done this, and I would have, well, you're not the guy, so tough. But anyways, we are in this series, and, and I, the reason I say that is because this series that we've been talking about is about decisions. And decisions, what? Determine our direction, which ultimately determines our destination. And obviously when that manager made that decision, it did a direction for them and it led them to their destination. But we tend to think, this is what we think, is that decisions are just for the young guys, the young gals, and, and that Somehow that it's for these kids who are growing up because they have this pressure and they don't know what they want and they have all these decisions to make and where am I going to go to school and what am I going to do for a career and who am I going to marry and all these different situations. But what we learned, Lord, what it learned is whether you're a manager of the Houston Astros or you're, you know, in your job or wherever you are, that decisions are big for all of us. And really, decisions, again, determine our direction. And so we've started this series two weeks ago, and the series is basically, it is a look at kings. And kings made a huge decision back in the in the time of ancient Israel. And as they made decisions, they were responsible not only for them, but they were responsible for the entire yeah, nation, the, whoever they ruled, whoever they were governing at the time. And And so we said the first week was this. We looked at a guy named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam, if you weren't here, Rehoboam had two things. He had, I'm going to try to make the the nation come together so I can listen to the old guys or I can listen to the young guys. And he decides he's going to listen to the young guys and ignores the old guys. And we said this, there's two questions that you need to ask yourself. Who are you listening to and whose advice are you ignoring? Because that is huge when it comes to decision making. And then last week what we said was there's a guy by the name of Josiah. And Josiah became king at age... Eight, but what was the amazing thing wasn't that he became king at such a little age, and a young age. But what was amazing about Josiah was he decided ahead of time that he was going to choose God's way. That any time a king would come in, it's do I go my own way or do I go God's way? And all his predecessors before him decided to go a different direction. And Josiah said, "I'm going to change the nation and turn the nation around, and I'm going to follow." The ways of my father, my grandfather, and even the, the guy who lived way before me, this King David, and I'm going to follow that direction. So, all that to say, we're going to come and talk about another king, and we're going to do that. But before I do that, here's what I want you to look at, okay? When you look at life, you can see that we, it seems that we are, what, driven or ruled by guidelines, laws, or rules, correct? 
Every time you drive, you are reminded that you are governed by rules or laws. Every time April comes around, you are reminded that you are governed by laws and tax laws, right? What can I write off? What can't I write off? How much am I going to get back, right? And then when you go to your work, there are guidelines, isn't there? Guidelines on how to dress, guidelines on what you can and cannot do. OSHA has their big guidelines written that you have to follow as well. But there's all these guidelines and there's all these rules in these, in these regulations, but it goes beyond adults. Think about it. Students, when they walk into the classroom for a teacher, a teacher begins to give out their guidelines or the direction they want the kids to go and how they want to run their classroom. And coaches, what? They instruct the kids to stay within the boundaries or the guidelines of the game that they're participating in. Right? And even children growing up in a house, you remember your parents gave you guidelines or rules, right, in effect, because they wanted you to, to go and, and grow up to be a certain person. And that's just what they did. Now, if you think about that, we have these rules, but there are some people in this life who think that the rules are just meant to be followed and that, in fact, that they're all about the rules, aren't they? See, there's two kinds of people in this world, right? Rule followers and rule breakers, right? Rule followers, rule breakers. And so maybe you're, maybe you're, you're one of these and maybe you can relate to this. But I have three children. Now, all three of my children are, for the most part, rule followers. I have one particular child that believes that the rules are meant to be followed, period. That there's no breaking, there's no bending, there's no nothing. And so this child of mine, if there is a rule change in our house, you know what this individual wants? They want to make sure that you don't change the rules. You said this, now you're changing the rules on me. This is not fair right and as as the you know as the the house goes the fights that happen in my house between siblings is because they didn't say something right they didn't do something right they didn't spell something right so it is this is the way it is this is the law and this is the guidelines and dad don't you dare change the rules and believe it or not, siblings, you didn't do right, what you're supposed to do, and it's not right. So this child of mine, I say, is a black and white person. There are no gray areas. And some of you can agree to that. Now, there's others of you in this room who are law breakers. But you say, I'm not really a law breaker. I just happen to bend the rules right and so you bend the rules and the way you bend the rules is this you 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 think well i'm just going to bend them because it's beneficial to me in a certain situation right and so you think well i'm i'm going to bend them and it's not going to hurt anybody really right so you know that rule right there it's just a suggestion so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the corner and believe it or not I'm not going to hurt anybody I'm not breaking the law so what's the big deal if I just cut the corner or bend the rule a little bit right and then some people would look at your life and go well that's a little gray and you live a life kind of full of compromises and here and there and so you say you would not it's not black and white for you it's gray 
And the rules were meant to be bent so you could be beneficial for your life, right? So just like you don't understand someone who is staunch and black and white, guess what? People who are black and white don't understand people who like to bend the rules, right? Rules are meant to be followed. Now think about this. When it comes to God, right? God has a standard of living, but there are some people who believe that we don't have to live fully to God's standard of living. So here's what they do. They end up justifying their actions, right? So what comes into play is we justify. So when somebody asks something, well, why did you make that decision? You say, well, da-da-da-da-da, and you justify your action. And some people, here's what they say. They say, well, okay, well, what's the big deal? Nobody got hurt. I'm not breaking the law. I'm not doing anything. And come on, I can just do this. And the matter of fact is, is I can mess up. I can go back to God. I can come back, clear my conscience, and everything is good. But the reality is, is, is that how you're supposed to live? I would say no. Because I don't think God is into games. I don't think God is into, hey, let's play this, and, and you do this, and you work out the formula, and then everything's good. I don't think God is into games. I think God is a little bit once more for your life. And I think what God is, as we will see today, is that you'll see that God is into obedience. And God is not so much into bending the rules or breaking the rules. He's into your heart, and he's into what you are, are going to obey him or not. So think about this. I've done, I've done um, before I, I was here, I did children for a long time. Okay, so I, first of all, I started with middle school for nine years. I did high school for nine years, and I did children for a while. And the thing is, what I, when I was doing high school and middle school, and some people believe this, they believe this, and I heard this all the time. Well, God is a God of rules. And they'd attribute God to their parents. Well, my parents have all these rules, so God is a God of rules. And there are some adults that believe and won't walk into church because God is a God of rules. Let me tell you this. God is not a God of rules. You know why? Because if you go back to the Genesis account, if you go back to the creation, how many rules did God have? One. He had one rule. And what was the rule? Don't eat of the tree of the good of knowledge of good and evil. One rule. One rule. But then you go on and, and you see he's not a God of rules, but here's the thing. He goes on and he shapes the nation of Israel. They get out of Egypt. He takes them out of slavery for 400 years. And what does he do? He gives them more rules. How many rules does he give them? Or how many commandments he gives them? He gives them 10. But the 10 commandments were really to shape the nation of Israel. So there's no chaos. So he's shaping them and he's beginning to have them trust, right? And he's beginning to trust them in all this this whole process. But so what ends up happening as you, you fast forward to the nation of Israel, here's what God is. God is the God of ultimate authority over the nation of Israel. And he's over the nation of Israel. And as he is doing this, he is the one calling the shots. He's the one leading. He's the one that's in charge. And he's the one that's commanding things. So ultimately what God is doing is he has set up this, this kind of this system with prophets. And prophets would come and they'd be the mouthpiece of God. So as a nation, they really didn't have this, this type of leader or they didn't have this type of authority. The authority was God himself. Well, that didn't stay that way, did it? Because as you notice, the change came when they began to look around at the other nations and all of a sudden they're thinking, well, we want to be like everybody else because they noticed they're not like everybody else. Everybody else has a king. So the thing with Israel, the reason why they were looking around and, and wanting all that because they wanted to be like everybody else. 
But God had a, a, in mind for Israel that he wanted to show the nations of, around that he was the one true God. And they didn't need to be like everybody else. So what ends up happening is these people get, they get frustrated, they get angry, they're kind of like, well, wait a second, we want to be like somebody else. And see, nobody wants to stand out and be different. And the nation of Israel didn't want to stand out and be different. So they came to Samuel, and Samuel was a prophet at the time, and said, hey, look, we want a king like everybody else. And you know what Samuel said? I don't think that's a good idea. And I'm going to warn you guys I'm going to warn you, Israelites, I'm just telling you, here's what's going to happen. And he laid out certain things that would happen if you wanted a king. Well, after a certain amount of times, what did God do? God's like, okay, fine, the people want a king, they want a king, so here's what we're going to do, Samuel, you're going to anoint this guy named Saul. And so he goes and he anoints a guy named Saul, and, and Saul was a head taller than everybody else, and Saul was ham, handsome. So the people chose this guy, Saul, and God allowed it. And so Samuel anoints him. And as he's trying to tell him that he wants to be king, you know what Saul says? Uh, I don't think I can do this. He has some reservations. He's very hesitant. And think about it. I mean, you don't blame the guy, right? Because anytime God wants to use you, how many of us are hesitant and don't feel qualified? And he doesn't feel qualified. But yet God says, the peop- this is what the people are- want, this is what I'm going to give them, and this you are it. So he comes upon Saul, and here's what the, the scripture says, that Saul prophesies with the prophets. There's something amazing and different about Saul. Okay, so Saul is, is the guy who's in charge, and he begins to walk through the, the kingdom, and he begins to lead his people. But it didn't always go that way. And I guarantee you, if it, he made a decision... That really turned his direction of his life, turned the destination of his life. And if Saul were were there and he could go back and he could have hindsight and he could replay his life, you know what he would say? He'd say, man, I wish I would have done life differently. I wish I would have done something differently. So that's where we're going to drop into our story. So with that backdrop, I want you to drop into the story. And we're in 1 Samuel 15. And here's what happens. So Samuel comes in verse 1. He says to Saul, I am the one to the Lord who sent you, king over his people Israel. So listen now to the message from the Lord. So he says, look, I'm coming to you, Saul, and I have a word. And it's it's a little bit different. And he's trying to determine that are you going to take the assumption of ruling the people that God wants you to rule. That you get the opportunity, Saul, to rule God's chosen people. So he says, listen up. And don't miss this. And so what Saul, uh, what, excuse me, what Samuel said to Saul was that remember the Lord anointed you. And he's got a special message for you, so I want you to listen up. Listen up, be wise, and hear this. And here's what he says. He says, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they lay wayland them as they came up from Egypt. Now, Here's what you got to understand. God has heard, God has waited, and waited, and waited, and now there's consequences. Now, the Amalekites were enemies of Israel from of old. When Moses is taking the people out of, out of Egypt in the, in the Exodus, 
He's coming through the wilderness. These Amalekites think, well, we're just going to attack the Israelites. So they come from behind and attack them. Well, under the leadership of Joshua, who is the, the, the guy of the army, he decides to turn and go back and fight the Amalekites. Now, here's the story. So anytime Moses held his hands up, they were victorious. Every time he held his hands down, they lost. So ends up you have her and Aaron holding his hands up, and they move the Amalekites out of there, and they, they defeat them. Right? But here's what happens. Currently, the Amalekites are these nomad people. And currently, in the southern part of Israel, while Saul is king, and they are coming up, and they are taking and plundering and destroying livestock. They are a threat to Israel. And God says, I remembered what they have done long ago, and I've given them chances, and they've still been wicked, and they've still messed up. So here's his message to Saul, and here's what he wants him to do. He says this, Now go and attack the Amalekites and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them. Put to death men and women, children and infants, cattle and sheep, camels and donkeys. And you're going, wow. That seems harsh. But here's what's happening. is God has given them under the band of war. And this was a common thing in the ancient times, but it was rarely used. And when it says give up the cattle and the sheep, what essentially he's saying is there's some part of something that's going to happen and that is something sacrificially. And so he says, kill the women, kill the children, kill the humans, kill the animals. And it's a, it's a way of giving it over to God. Okay, God, there are consequences, so we're going to do what you're telling us to do, and we're handing it over. And if you were really wicked, God wanted your belongings as well. Now, I know you're sitting here going, oh my goodness, that sounds like an angry, vengeful God. And some people come to the place and what they think is this, that the God of the Old Testament or the God before Jesus is completely different than when Jesus came on the earth. Not true. Not true. You can look at this verse and say, oh my gosh, no, 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 no. Because let me show you how it's not true. And the next verse says this. It says this in verse 6. He says to the Canaanites, go away and leave the Amalekites, so that I not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to the Israelites when they came out to Egypt. So the Canaanites moved away from the Amalekites. So get this. So they have kindness. They don't attack. As they're moving out of the wilderness, they don't attack. And so God, you see, is a loving, compassionate, gracious, forgiving God. And God is a God of his word. Because when he said to Abraham, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. Well, the Amalekites were on the cursing side. And the Canaanites were on the blessing side. So God is not a vengeful God. There's just guidelines and there's rules and there's, there's consequences when you break them. And so God is not out to get anybody. He wasn't out to get the Canaanites. They just happened to stay within the parameters of the guidelines. And so what ends up happening is Saul gets this army. He begins to push people, the the Amalekites, to the southern part. And then all of a sudden he does something he wishes he would not have done. And you go down to verse 8. It says, He took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive. And all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag, 
the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, and everything that was good. These were unwilling to destroy completely because everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. So he fails to do what the Lord told him to do. He completely does not do and does not obey what God's mandate was. So what he does is he destroys everything, right, that has poor quality or everything that is worthless. But to him, guess who wasn't worthless? The king. But what did God say? He said, destroy everything. And so he doesn't destroy the king. And and maybe there's a reason why he didn't destroy the king. and, And because maybe he wanted to show his men that he's the best king of all. That I'm a great leader. And you know what? It could have been God, but really, look how great I am. I've got King Ahag. And maybe he brought him to have a public display on for the people. But either way, here's what Saul was about. Saul was about himself. And Saul was about his splendor and his glory. So he's completely in there. But see, here's what happens. There's an immediate crisis happens because he doesn't complete what God had commanded. Right? He, he doesn't do that. And, and so there's something that bothers God. And, and it upsets him. And, and here's what it says in verse 10. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I made Saul king. Why? Because he's turned away from me. He has not carried out my instructions. Look at this. Samuel was angry. And he cried out to the Lord all that night. God regretted what? Making him king. Because he did not do what the Lord wanted. Now we can all, and we all understand, regrets, don't we? We can all go back to our lives and say, man, I wish I wouldn't have dated that person. I wish I would have listened to that advice. I wish I wouldn't have lived in the moment. I wish, and it goes on and on and on. And everybody has these regrets. Well, God's regret is that he made him king because his heart had turned. And he didn't want to do what God had commanded him to do. See, and so what Saul did... And what Samuel knew, because he cried all night and he cried out to the Lord. You know what he knew? He knew that Saul's future looked bleak. Because here's what he knew. Judgment was coming and there was consequences coming because he decided to do what he wanted to do and not what the Lord had commanded him to do. So the sin of Saul was going to come and and, and get him and and his soldiers and it was just not going to look pretty. And there was deep sorrow that God felt. Deep, deep sorrow that he felt. So what Saul does is he, this is what he does. After his victory, you know what he does? He goes and he erects a monument in his honor. And all of a sudden you begin to see this shift of of Saul. That his heart, and you see this glimpse of arrogance, and you see this glimpse of pride in his life. And you're thinking, what is he doing? So Samuel asks, "Where, where in the world is Saul? So he goes up to Gilgal where he's erected this monument. Now this is the key. He was anointed at Gilgal, and now he erects a monument in his honor at Gilgal. And so Samuel comes, and it says, the scripture says that Saul comes up, Hey, Samuel, I've done what the Lord has asked. Come on, now, if you're a parent, or you're a child, and you've seen your parent do this, and you know you say something, and you know it's not the truth, and you know your mom or dad knows it's right, and they give you that look like, Are you kidding me? Are you serious? 
right? And they know you're lying. I can picture Saul saying what he's saying and Samuel going, are you kidding me? Like in his mind, he's thinking, are you kidding me? Does it look like I have stupid written on my forehead? Like, you really think I'm that dumb? Like, come on. So, but here's, here's what, what Saul does. Saul begins to like say, oh, you know, we, we did this and we did this for God. And, and here's what, what, what Samuel says. He says this. He says this in verse 14. If you, basically, if you've carried out the Lord's instructions, then what is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears? And what is the lowing of cattle that I hear? Come on, Saul, do I look stupid? I hear the sheep. I hear the cattle in the background. We both know what? That you were supposed to destroy everything. But I can tell you what Saul is trying to do. He's trying to blame and he's trying to get out of the consequences, and he's just, he says, oh, no, 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 we brought it for sacrifice, and everything's good. Now, I know this, when you're trying to get out of trouble, and Saul is getting out of trouble. When I was about 12 years old, maybe 12 to 14, I just can't remember, but I started playing football, okay, maybe 14, 15. So we started playing football, started getting into basketball, and if you've had an old, if you got, you know, my dad had this old, rugged weight set and it's so old that there was rust on it okay so me i'm thinking that i'm gonna be this like stud player and i'm gonna you know beef up for basketball or football so i take this barbell and i start doing like bicep curls like this right okay got this i'm feeling good right so then i take it and if you've ever seen a tricep move you usually take it over your head and you go like this and it builds the back of your muscles so i decide that i'm going to do that well, these are so old and rusty, you know what happens. I'm going like this. Oh, yeah, I'm feeling good, feeling good. And the weight comes off, okay? Now, the weight just doesn't come off and hit the ground. You know what it hits? It hits my dad's, like, 1995 Lincoln Continental right on the hood. Boom, falls down and hits. And he's got a dent in his thing. Now, here's the worst part. My little brother's watching me. So here's what I say to my little brother. Don't you dare say a word or I'm going to punish you. Right? Don't you dare say anything. So what happens? My dad gets home and goes, hey, what happened to my car? Don't you say a word, you little stinker. Right? Don't, don't you say anything. And oh, What's going to happen? My dad's obviously going to find out. But what am I trying to do? I'm trying to shut him up. I'm going to say anything I can say to get out of what? The consequences. The punishment. So you know what Saul does? Saul does the exact same thing. He says, yeah, you might hear the bleeding of the sheep, and Dad, you might see the dent on the car, but I didn't do it. It wasn't me. It was the soldiers. You know, and we, we killed everything. But hey, guess what, Samuel? You know what we did? We brought everything back so we could sacrifice to the Lord. Now, have you ever been so mad at somebody that you can feel yourself going to zero to 60? And it's like you can feel it coming, coming, coming. And finally, there becomes a point in your life where you're so mad at them that you just kind of explode. Well, Samuel gets to that point. He says, wait a second, enough is enough. He says, Samuel, or Saul, are you serious? I've had enough of your excuses. You gave me the excuse twice, I've had enough. God made you king. You were so little and so small, and God made you king. You had one thing to do, and you didn't do it. How dare you lie to me? Are you kidding me, Saul? 
Are you serious? And Saul again, he give, again gives them an excuse. But hey, hey, we brought the fattened calf so we could sacrifice to God. It's okay. And this is what Samuel says. He's so upset. He says in verse 22, he says this. Verse 22, he says, Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Rhetorical question? No, he doesn't. You know, we can have this worship, and back then worship was attached to the sacrifice. But the only way the sacrifice worked is what? If you had a right heart before the Lord. If, the, if anything of rebellion or pride or arrogance or attitude that was in your sacrifice, it nullified the sacrifice. So repentance, basically, and obedience had to come alongside the sacrifice for God to accept it. So Saul learned that day this, that worshiping is not more important than obeying God. That obeying God is the most important thing. We can come to church and we can sing our songs and we can read the Bible, but if we're not obeying, guess what? It's worth nothing. If you're not obeying the commands of God, then it's worth nothing. And that's what Saul found today. And, and here's what I would say to Saul, and, and here's what he learned. He learned this, that obedience to God makes for a great relationship with God. And in other words, here's what I would say. Obey and stay, right? Or I say disobey and you stray. Obey and you stay in a great relationship with God, or you disobey and you stray. And here's what happened to Saul. And here's what happens to all of our lives. Consequences happen. So Samuel, when he talks to Saul, he says, look, God has rejected you as king, and God is done with you. And Saul was so hurt and so regretful and had remorse for his decision that as Saul walked away, he ripped his robe. And Samuel turned to him and says, because you've ripped my robe, God has ripped the kingdom from your hands. And he's given it to a guy by the name of David. And it wasn't the replacement, wasn't that God was just ticked. It's because that's the plan that God had. And there was a consequences for his decision. But do you know that Saul ruled for another 15 years? And here's the sad thing. The scripture says that Samuel walked away doing two things. One, he went and he took the sword and he put his foot on the neck of Agag and he killed him. He cursed him before he killed him. He did what Saul didn't do. Second thing is, is he was so hurt that he disobeyed the Lord that the scripture says that Samuel never saw Saul again. Never. He never went back because he was so hurt and so angry and so saddened of what he had done. And let's be honest for all of us. See, we come to this place and we have decisions and we know that decisions determine our direction. And we need to, and we need to make uh, th these decisions and we need to make wise decisions. When it comes to our choices, they need to be wise because here's what happens. We only have to believe it but we have to what? Live it. You can't just believe that your decisions determine your direction. You actually have to live it and understand it. And, and what takes place is this, that if you don't make wise decisions, we know this as adults, and even if we're you know, this old or, or we're younger or whatever, we understand this, that the decisions we make can ultimately have a shift 
on a relationship with God. It can shift. And see, I believe some of us, you know, the reason why we don't have a right relationship with God or or we're not obeying God is because this, we don't see immediate consequences right away. Do we? But I guarantee you, see, we don't walk with God the way the people of the Old Testament, the way the people of the, the New Testament lived. You know what? They had a sense of awe. They had a sense of wonder. And they had a sense of just great and holiness and, and worship and reverence for the living God. And here's why. Because if they did not obey God right then and there, there was an issue. Can you imagine if we were like Pinocchio? That every time we lied, our nose would grow? And, and think about it. Wouldn't it be different if every time you didn't obey God, that something would happen to you? Think about it. Moses knew this. Moses wasn't allowed in the promised land. Why? Because he hit the rock instead of spoken to the rock. Joshua lost a battle because someone stole from the battle before. Saul was rejected by God because of a decision he made. Can you imagine what we would live and how we would live if there was consequences right away because of decisions we made that were contrary to God? See, and those decisions we make and the foolish decisions we make are going to cause distance between God and yourself. They're going to make this distance from you. you. See, you once felt close to God, but I can tell you this. The decisions you make that are contrary to his word and contrary to him, you're going to go further and further and further away. And there's a shift that happens. Now, you've all seen, like, you've all taken magnets, right? And you take magnets and boom, you can stick them together when they're good. But you turn them and you flip the magnet around, what happens? There's a repel, isn't there? And the more I push and the more I go like this, my hands, I can't get there, can I? That is a picture of our lives. Think about what they So the magnets together, you got you and you got God, and they're together. And you're living, when you're obeying God, what do I say? You're staying in great relationship with him. The moment you decide to do things your own way, you begin to stray further and further and further. And you try to come back, and you're like, Lord, oh, you try to come back, and you try to come back, and you try to come back, and there's this friction there. And the friction is what? We call it sin. And see, you know what God wants from you? He doesn't want the friction there. He wants a close-knit relationship with you. And if there's anything that is causing that, God wants you to get rid of it. He wants to come and have forgiveness in your life, and he wants you to get back to this place. Not where you're a magnet and you're kind of fighting it and you cannot get close to God. He doesn't want that for you. And maybe you're here, and the other thing you're here is maybe you're sitting here and you are not close to God or you're not obeying God, and the reason why is because you are making decisions based on culture and not on Christ. See, culture has eroded values and morals. It has eroded God's standards. All of a sudden, culture, you know what culture has done? Culture says it doesn't matter what God says. It doesn't matter his values. It doesn't matter what he has. We are just going to do what we want to do. And think about this. Things that were bad or prohibited 50 years ago are okay now. Things that were prohibited 5 years, 10 years, 20 years are okay now. See, God's standard of living has been gone out the door. And some of us, here's what we think. We think, you know, it's not a big deal, the decisions I'm making. Why? Because society says it's okay. And if society says it's okay, and I'm not hurting anybody, and I'm not breaking the law, then what's the big deal about my decision? I'll tell you what the big deal is about your decision. 
is it doesn't line up with God's standards, his morals, and his values. Just because society says it's okay does not mean it's okay with God. See, God's standards and his values and his morals have not changed since the time of Saul. And so what we think is we think, well, I'm just going to do what everybody else does and it's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay to cheat in your workplace. It's not okay to cheat on your taxes. There's standards that God has for living. And see, some of us, we continue to to make those decisions and we think it's okay. But in reality, we're afraid that if we make a decision that is contrary to what society does, is we're going to be labeled or we're going to be ostracized. And I would say, just get over it. And maybe you're here and, 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 and the reason why you don't feel close to God or, is because, you know what? You're in the center of your life. Saul was the center of his life. At one point in his, in his world, when he was king, he began to shift. And it wasn't God, but it was him. And see, some of us, you know, we know that verse, that Lord, if we commit our ways to God, he will give us what? The desires of our heart. You know what we do? We throw out the commitment to God and we want, just give me the desires of my heart. And I don't care if I have to commit to you, Lord. I don't care. I just want what I want and I want it now. And it ends up happening, you know what? You are in the center and, and you are doing things and, and making decisions that are based on your happiness, your well-being, and God is totally out of the picture. Even though you know what is right, you decide to make decisions that are good for you. And see, here's what we need to do. How do you get to a place where your relationship with God is great? How do you get to a place where it's simple? When you, you have to give Him access. And when I say you give Him access, you give Him all access to every area of your life. See, you know what we like to do as adults? We like to hide things from people. And we like to hide things from God. So it's ultimately what I would say, it's like a waffle. Have you ever seen an egg waffle and it's got all these compartments in it? And so our lives are comprised of all these compartments and this egg waffle. And so what we do is we want, God, well, you can have this part of my life, but stay out of this part of my life. God, you can have this part and this part and this part, but no, you can't have that part. You know what God wants? He wants all access of your life. And some of us are sitting here saying, well, God, you can't have this. In order for God and you to get to a place where you have a great relationship with God, you have to give him all access to your life. Every area. The area that you're embarrassed about. The area that you have regrets about. The areas that you just are, are just don't want anyone to know. You have to give it to the Lord. And that happens when you surrender to him. You surrender everything. You don't just surrender half your life. You surrender all your life. You don't surrender certain areas of your life. You surrender all areas of your life. And when that begins to happen, you begin to be able to say no to the temptation that God has for you. So you know what the, the, the thing is? is Some people think that the only people who have access to God is those who are super spiritual. And those who are great. That's a lie. I have just as much access as any one of you do. And it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's not because I'm religious. It's not because I'm a pastor. It's because of what he's done for each and every one of us. And see, some of the things, you, you, some people, what they believe is we believe that pastors are held up. Let me tell you this. I am not immune to any bad decision. I am a human. I make mistakes like anybody else. 
And I'm talking to me just as much as I'm talking to you. That we need to just not, we need to obey and stay instead of disobey and stray. And so th- this one guy, Louis Giglio, here's what he said, and he said it years ago. He said, we don't work for God, we worship him. We worship him. And if you worship God, you know what it means? It means you surrender your life to him. If you worship God, you know that obedience is more than sacrifice. If you worship God, then you give him all access to your life. If you worship God, then you live for him and live for him alone. And you know what? I want that for your life. I want that for my life. I want us to have awe and passion and wonder the way they had awe, passion, and wonder. So obedience is just, it gives us to a direction and it takes us to a certain way. And we all know that, but let's be honest. Just because we know what is right doesn't mean we're going to choose what is right. Because we can go back and we can look at our lives and say, well, I wish I would never have done certain things. And you know, God has a plan for each and every one of us. And it's a unique plan. And it doesn't have to look like somebody else's. It's unique for you. But here's what we have to do. We have to make choices that line up with his plan for our lives. So if I was to ask you today, the decisions you're making, are they leading you towards God or away from God? Which way are they leading you? Are they leading you towards regret? Or are they leading you towards a right relationship with him? Because guess what? Obedience to God makes for a great relationship with God. And he doesn't want you to stray. He wants you to stay right then and there. And he wants you to remove yourself out of the center. And he wants you to begin to begin to make decisions that line up with his way and his plan for your life. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you. And, and God, we can sit here and we can say, yeah, Lord, we know this. And we can talk about this. And it's easy to talk about. And we can put it off and say, yeah, 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 God, we know we're supposed to make wise decisions. But the reality is, God, we go into our workplace and we make decisions that are contrary to you. We go home, Lord, and we make mistakes and do things that are contrary to you. God, nobody's immune to this. And I'm not immune to this. But Lord, would you just help us to stay in a solid, strong relationship with you? For everyone in here, Lord, for those regrets that we have, God, we just lay them at your feet. And Lord, would you just forgive us? And would you just bring us back to a close-knit relationship with you? God, would you just help us to have awe and wonder and just a passion for you each and every day? God, sometimes work can get so out of line and things can get so busy that we forget to spend time with you. And when we do that, Lord, we're most susceptible to temptation, and susceptible to doing things our own way. God, will we just draw near to you this day? And Lord, as your word says, you draw near to us. Help us, God, to live out wise decisions as they determine our direction. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.